Alright, Jean-Pierre, now it's time to school. So you can become the bread maker, eh? But Papa, I want to make molecules. You cannot make molecules, you must make a bread. But Papa, I listen to Buckley Rocks, I want to make molecules. Oh, Jean-Pierre, you're incorrigible. Go be a chemist. Listen to the Buckley Rocks. Listening to 90.7 FM. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Rocks. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, lobsters, pores, and hurricanes. In addition, we'll be joined by Dr. Nicholas Pericone, who will discuss the wrinkle-free diet. Also, we'll find out what P-doping is. So stay tuned for all of this, plus the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous question of the week coming right up here on the Berkeley Rocks Science Show. Back to Frankly Rocks, I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Fantastic. Fantastic. On a scale of 1 to 10, how fantastic is that? 100, man. Wow. I, you know, I think in orders of magnitude. Okay, well, I, I didn't define the scale. I was it, was it off the charts or something? I, possibly. Almost like the uh, global warming trend, I guess. <laughs> The Atlantic hurricane season is actually forecast to be quite high this year once again. I mean, so last year was not fluke then? Well, wasn't it the recent film? Inconvenient the, truth. In, yeah. Ten warmest years on record have been uh, within... Fifteen or whatever, right? Right, within the past 15 years. Right. They're predicting that because of very warm waters, mm-hmm. weak wind currents, which could rip apart hurricanes, right. this is going to promote very strong hurricanes occurring near the United States and Mexico. Probably not good news for those southern states, huh? No, not again. They're predicting that they might see at least 13 to 16 tropical storms, of which about 8 to 10 could reach hurricane speeds of 118 kilometers per hour. Wow. And four of six of them might get all the way to 178 kilometers per hour, which could make them major, major hurricanes. Not something at Disneyland, huh? I've I've actually never experienced a hurricane, so I've always wondered. But (laughs) considering all the disastrous effects, probably not something I should uh, try to enjoy in. Well, I've I've got the earthquake down, so I I think I could say that. But Uh hurricane... Okay, no. Been near tornadoes. That's really? happened, yeah. I don't think it's fun. Certainly, the predictions rely on computer models, so they're somewhat variable, so you have to take that into account. So it could be even worse than that, then? It could. I mean, in fact, last last year's forecast was off by at least half. They'd only predicted about half the number of hurricanes that actually occurred. And apparently, the season now for hurricanes is actually growing longer. It's supposed to typically end around the end of November. Last year ended early hurricane. Well, if only skiing season could be extended. And that's the problem. Hurricane season going longer and longer, skiing season shorter and shorter. Thank you, global warming. I love you so much. Anyway, this is very fascinating work released by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Ah, oh, Noah. So I guess I'm going to talk about something along one of our other trends. Upward parabola trend? <laughs> the glow-in-the-dark trend. Oh, the wonderful GFP. Yes. There, is there any other greater protein than GFP, I wonder? <laughs> I think, you know, everything should glow in life. Uh-huh. <laughs> Technicolor. I want Technicolor in my life. It turns out glow-in-the-dark flowers are now chic in Europe. So they're selling flowers that are genes implanted to them. Uh, in this case, it's not implanted. It's just been sprayed on. And okay. what they have is roses and chrysanthemums, which daylight like white. But once you take them to the dark, 
dark, they have this nice green glow to them. Green chrysanthemum is actually a very pleasant color, but... It doesn't look very appetizing. Well, I'm not eating it normally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, this is one of the trends to uh, put more bling back into these traditional industries so that, you know, the younger generation will have some appeal to them. Uh, you know, I can just see Eminem walking around with green glowing chrysanthemum. Kids will be going with that bling. And the first few batches were sold out, and they were fetching 50% more value than non-glowing competitors. Well, okay, so I guess there is something to it. Yeah. But then it could just be like the tulip market that crashes. <laughs> Don't put all your stock in it yet. Nope. This is interesting stuff in the uh, flower industry. In fact, if you want to find out more, there's an organization called Trendy Roses. All right, make your reservations now for uh, Valentine's Day. You know, they're putting the GFP in so many animals nowadays. I wonder when it's just going to become a staple of our food diet as well. Why don't we just have it in our skins and then we can be like the Incredible Hulk? <laughs> you don't need to be green to be like the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> All you need to have to have a bad temper is really... <laughs> of course, a bad temper and being a weakling, that can get you a lot of trouble, mm. <laughs> as, I've, as I found out. <laughs> But what about lobsters? you got to love the lobster. Oh, yeah, crustaceans, right? It's technically like in the insect family. Well, at least arthropod. But so these crustaceans, right, they have a very special trick in which they can actually tell if other members of their group have become infected with a virus. Wow, that's something that I don't have the ability to. <laughs> Apparently, they sniff out the disease by uh -huh. detecting the chemicals that are somehow emitted by the virus. Uh -huh. There's only one particular virus that infects a particular crustacean called Panellaris argus, virus 1. So researchers actually took these infected lobsters and they put them in cages to see how they would respond to infected and uninfected forms. What they found out is that healthy, uninfected lobsters would avoid their infected brethren, whereas if you put an infected lobster in the same tank, uh -huh. it didn't care. It could hang out with both groups, right? It just suggests that the healthy lobsters have some mechanism for detecting whether or not their healthy brethren are infected, and perhaps infected people, they just don't care because they're infected now anyway, so they can hang out with everybody. Wow, if only there was a way to know if people had syphilis and stuff like that, huh? <laughs> we need the GFP outward indicator to help us see what that. What about a scarlet letter? <laughs> Yes, and then we could go back to burning at the stake, you know. It's <laughs> Old school, man. Mid-pilgrims had it right. An interesting method which animals use to detect whether or not other members of the species have been infected with a disease. But, of course, it might not be useful for you if you actually want to see if the, your lobster that you want to eat for dinner is uh, infected. The best way to tell is apparently they have a milky white discharge, so look for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. In any case, it's a very fascinating work, and it was published in a recent edition of Nature. So, Charles, how do you take the salt out of the water? Reverse osmosis. Wow, with your skin? Uh, I haven't tried it. I'm not sure if it's a good membrane for that. So speaking of membranes, it looks like nanotubes may be actually excellent membranes for selecting certain types of molecules to separate. You can imagine that. You just adjust the pore size and then you could make them selectively permeable, right? Well, that was the conventional notion around how you can separate, but now it turns out a lot of some of the electronic effects and the chemical and physical interactions happening at the surface have a profound effect on huh. the transportation and diffusion of certain types of molecules. Right, I would imagine as particles approach approaching the pore, it's repulsed by whatever electrons are around there. Right. right. So. But in fact, this recent study carried out at Livermore suggests that they can get flows which were 100 to 10,000 times faster than predicted by the classical models. Mm. And so this makes it uh, very promising for, say, purifying water, removing salt from your water, because the water can permeate through these memories extremely fast. The, very interesting. I mean, there might be some sort of similar energetic mechanism as what goes on with, for example, the ion channels in membranes of cells. Right. Whereas there's actually in the reason why it actually 
be faster is because it becomes energetically favorable. It's supported by the transition state through the pore is actually supported by the electronic structure of the pore. So it might be a similar thing that's going on in these nanotubes. Possibly. So anyways, this could potentially revolutionize processes for making clean water, separating gases, industrial gases, for example, getting pure oxygen out of the air. Ah. So those processes are extremely expensive and energy intensive. And with these new membranes, you could potentially do it for a fraction of the cost and energy. Oh, ah, cool. Well, good news for the oxygen bars. <laughs> yes. If anyone's interested, it was in a recent edition of Science, Volume 312. And that's all for a look at current developments in the world of science and technology this week. This is Berkeley Grox you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. In a few moments, Douglas Nicholas Pericone joins us to talk about a healthier lifestyle. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Berkeley Rocks. While eating too many calories has been implicated as the cause of obesity, eating too much has many other deleterious effects for the body and the skin. Well, joining us today, uh, one of the foremost nutritionists is Dr. Nicholas Paragon, who will tell us about a healthier lifestyle for our skin and our bodies. Uh, Dr. Paragon? So, first of all, uh, could you tell us about your recent book, uh, The Paracone Weight Loss Diet? Yes, the Paracone Weight Loss Diet is actually uh, the result of previous research that I've done and more or less looks at the aspects of obesity and the inability to lose weight by a number of people. A huge portion of the population in this country is overweight. And um, as a result of my earlier research, I pretty much discovered that a microinflammation is responsible for aging and age-related diseases. And I developed a, a three-tiered program, a diet, nutritional supplements, and topicals to act as therapeutic intervention. And all of those people who went on that program, if they needed to or if they had excess body fat, they tended to lose weight fairly rapidly and yet had a very healthy look at the end of that. So it clued me in that certainly inflammation may also be a problem with, with excess weight. And then the net effect of the research is that inflammation truly is at the basis of um, gaining weight and inability to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Now, when I talk about inflammation, I, I don't want to give a confusing message here. And this inflammation goes on every day. It's caused by things like stress, the food we eat, uh, environmental toxins, and many things that can cause 
microinflammation, but it uh, will continue on a daily basis. And the idea is we want to reduce that inflammation as much as we can because that inflammation can lead to various disease states and also accelerate the aging process. So the Pericone weight loss diet looks at those aspects of inflammation, microinflammation, invisible, can't see it, can't feel it, causing problems with gaining weight. And so the object is to look at the diet in terms of its ability to decrease inflammation as well as certain nutritional supplements to decrease inflammation. And if we, if we treat the inflammation first, then the weight will normalize very rapidly without many of the problems that we see with other diets. When we think of inflammation, a lot of us associate it with a, a fever, uh, itchy skin, or you know, increased blood flow to the affected area. But what exactly is happening at the uh, cellular level? You know, if we look at in, first inflammation as a spectrum from very low levels, which is on a cellular level, to the, the, to the gross levels, which we can see clinically, uh, basically the microinflammation is are changes within the cell that may not lead to obvious physical changes, may not even be visible sometimes microscopically. And these changes are activation of certain transcription factors like nuclear factor kappa B, there are elevation of uh, other chemicals, and these chemicals result in basically of the cell. Uh, dysfunction of the mitochondria leading to energy problem productions. And overall, if we look at a human being and say, okay, what's happening if they actually have high level of inflammation? What is going on? We'll find that there are certain changes that, that can be detected. One is C-reactive protein in the blood. If someone has high levels of inflammation systemically, what it does is it tends to block the action of insulin. So we become insulin insensitive. Mm -hmm. And once we become insulin insensitive, of course, we're moving towards type 2 diabetes. Also, insulin insensitivity leads to storage of body fat and also problems with blood sugar. So if we look at that scenario and find that if we decrease those levels of inflammation, then we can actually increase insulin sensitivity. And then <clears throat> insulin levels, blood sugar goes down, and, and it tends to turn off those blockers that block the enzymes that actually um, prevent us from losing body fat. So it's an interesting concept, and the whole idea is that it works extremely well because Traditional diets do not approach this problem, and what you see is people losing weight, but 50% of that weight many times is a loss of muscle mass. And that also can be accounted for by excess inflammation on a systemic level. Glassing through your book, uh, you actually recommend reducing or cutting out certain types of foods. Uh, for example, gluten-intense foods like breads, uh, rice, and uh, other starchy foods. How exactly do these carbohydrates contribute to the uh, aging effect or obesity? Well, one of the things uh, with certain carbohydrates is they, they're actually um, high on the glycemic scale, and so they cause a rapid rise in blood sugar. Whenever we have a rapid rise in blood sugar, we'll also have a, an insulin response, and those, that combination tends to create inflammation on a cellular level. So we want to basically control insulin as carefully as we can in blood sugar. Now, um, diets that also have are high in um, gluten, although uh, gluten enteropathy and pure gluten intolerance although supposedly it's not that common, I think there's something called a subclinical gluten sensitivity, which many people suffer from, and they have, there's this low grade of inflammation that goes on in the body. Now, once we have inflammation from any cause, whether it's, it's an um, allergy or it's uh, elevated blood sugar or many things that can have, then we start getting that insulin insensitivity and, and further problems. Also, higher levels of inflammation tend to cause loss of muscle mass. Now, the cause of the muscle mass loss is, is fairly common, too. I think for each decade uh, that a woman ages, she will tend to lose uh, five pounds of muscle mass and um, gain 10 pounds of fat. 
when you look at the aging population and you see some older people that look very fragile, they've lost a lot of muscle mass and that clinically is called sarcopenia. So I looked at sarcopenia as perhaps a clinical model for inflammation and muscle loss. And sure enough, inflammation is very important, a key to the, the muscle loss in sarcopenia because if you look at patients uh, who uh, are very similar, those with higher levels of inflammatory chemicals tend to have more muscle mass as they muscle mass loss as they age. So um, I also wanted to try to understand why we're seeing a loss of muscle mass with most diets. So putting all that in kind of a cohesive plan, I found that by decreasing inflammation, not only we cause a rapid loss of body fat, but we maintain muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So at the end of a diet, if we, we have substantial weight loss or even minor weight loss, if someone's lost 50 pounds, um, that 50 pounds will be hopefully mostly body fat and, and, and fluids that go along with it rather than body fat and muscle mass. And so at the end of this diet, instead of that haggard, tired look most people have when they've lost significant weight, they actually look vibrant and healthier. In your diet, you also recommend continuing to take proteins, especially uh, fresh fish. Uh, are there certain types of proteins that we should avoid, though? Well, I think it's important that everything we put in our mouth is going to have some positive activity in terms of decreasing inflammation or providing the adequate amino acids for cellular repair. Uh, Cold water fish is incredibly important because of excellent high quality protein, lots of um, omega-3s, essential fats. Essential fats are critical. They're natural anti-inflammatory. They also aid in loss of body fat. You need essential fats to lose fat. Um, So that's a very important part of this program. Certainly, I have a lot of vegans who say, well, what about me? What am I going to do? Certainly, you can mix various vegetables to get um, complete uh, the amino acid profile. The problem is you tend to get a pretty high glycemic load with those. In addition, Mm -hmm. um, there's something called protein efficiency ratio, and this is rather low with vegetable protein. So I try to urge my patients to get their protein from good sources, such as uh, fish and and eggs and uh, uh, poultry, things like that. What about cholesterol? How, how does your diet help to lower uh, the LDL, the bad cholesterol, in our, in our blood? Well, once again, by eating um, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, foods with uh, adequate fiber, both soluble and insoluble, you'll see a good uh, reduction of, of uh, bad cholesterol and elevation of the, uh, of the good cholesterol. In addition, you will definitely see a change in the inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein. And at the end of the day, if you look at the literature, C-reactive protein is four times a better predictor of heart problems than cholesterol is. So we always want to focus on, on that microinflammatory component. In your previous book about having a wrinkle-free life, you know, you mentioned that um, the oxidation is responsible for uh, uh, a lot of the uh, aging effects and wrinkling in our skins. Um, in, in terms of like a topical uh, approach, you know, using diet solely is going to have the best effect or, you know, are there also topical approaches that we should look at? Yeah, I think we should look at all of the, you know, all of the um, benefits we can derive from the three levels. Certainly, diets are very important, and there's some pretty good studies showing that um, a diet that's high in foods that are rich in antioxidants, good for protein and, and essential fats, actually have less, less wrinkles than those eating a poor diet. Secondly, I truly believe that taking antioxidants, <clears throat> by the way, all antioxidants act as natural anti-inflammatories, right. but taking antioxidants in capsule form also uh, can assist us in preventing and actually treating some existing wrinkles. And finally, it makes sense to me as a dermatologist by applying these powerful antioxidant anti-inflammatory compounds directly to skin by hitting the target organ will get very high levels and tends to be more reparative and also preventative. So I think all levels are important, but certainly we should understand that probably the most important thing we can do is adjust our diet. So one of the problems that come up with these diets and also with taking certain drugs is uh, the actual delivery. Uh, a lot of times it doesn't quite get to the uh, bloodstream or it gets enzymatically broken down somewhere before it reaches the target. Um, what kind of combination of foods would you recommend to um, 
optimize the absorption of these antioxidants. Well, once again, I think that the best approach is just try to get, get with the, the healthiest foods we can. So lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, hopefully organic if you can get your hands on them. Mm-hmm. Um, High-quality protein, um, eating uh, three meals and two snacks a day so that uh, we can absorb the nutrients that we're getting. And um, drinking adequate water, all of these things can be beneficial, and we can probably absorb a good amount of the uh, antioxidants in our foods. Uh, but I do believe in additional layer of protection by taking antioxidants in capsule form can give us even, even higher serum levels and, and greater benefit to the cells. Changing the topic a little bit, now you've done extensive work with aging here. Uh, I'm just curious, what are your views on um, on uh, human longevity? How much more can we extend it from what we have right now? Well, you know, there are two ways of, of, of looking at this. First of all, you know, there's the, the uh, maximum age uh, span of, of the human race, and then there's the average. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I'm trying to achieve... Um, through the anti-inflammatory diet and lifestyle is to actually improve the um, average lifespan, but also to take someone who has, say, a life expectancy of, say, 75 years. That entire 75 years is spent, except perhaps the last few weeks or few days, as a very healthy person so that Mm -hmm. you're independent and can achieve your life goals and not become a burden to society or family. Right. And I truly believe we can do this by eating a a good, healthy diet and modifying lifestyle to some extent. So that's the goal. As far as achieving an increase in maximum lifespan, I think I'm going to leave that to uh, the geneticists and and, and other means because I think (laughs) it's a little bit more difficult. You were on PBS recently, and you had, I don't quite remember the details, but you had mentioned there was a correlation between the, uh, I guess, melanocytes in the skins and also um, certain cells in the brain. Uh, maybe you, could you talk about the link a little bit? Yes. We kind of summarize it in, in the book, uh, which is written you know, for the average reader as the brain-beauty connection. But essentially, uh, when you study embryology, you'll find that um, there are three uh, basic layers of tissue that all of the organs are formed from, and you'll find that the same layer of tissue that forms brain forms skin. And that cued me into that there has to be similarities. So looking histologically at brain and skin, you do see similarities. Certainly melanocytes um, do look like, uh, uh, like nerve cells. And so there are many similarities. And I also found that when people are getting things that are pharmacologically active for brain, they also affect skin. And so, therefore, um, knowing that, it kind of gave me point of focus in terms of coming up with therapeutic possibilities for skin. And so one of the, I think, major discoveries for me was uh, DMAE, or dimethylaminoethanol, which has been used for years as a cognitive enhancer. It was used to treat attention deficit disorder, many things in the 50s and 60s. found that when it was applied to skin, it also had uh, beneficial effects in increasing tone, radiance, acts as a natural anti-inflammatory, so many positive aspects there. Alpha-lipoic acid is another one that really um, is very active central nervous system in terms of preventing um, oxidative damage to nerve cells, and and alpha-lipoic acid does the same thing for skin. So the brain-beauty connection actually gave me a focus for my research. Just a comment here, I actually have a colleague who who, uh, has been taking her diet, and uh, she was, you know, afflicted with uh, vitiligo, the the skin discoloration um, disease, and um, she says she's seeing a partial refilling of the color uh, after she started uh, taking her diet. Uh, Do you have any comments on that? Well, you know, vitiligo is a very difficult thing. It's it's it's, uh, it's an autoimmune thing where our, our um, antibodies are attacking our melanocytes. However, you know, a lot of that um, is um, basically dysfunction of the immune system. A lot of it has to do with inflammatory chemicals floating around in our body. And, and I've seen improvement of just about every disease process, uh, whether it's skin or otherwise, mm-hmm. by following the anti-inflammatory diet. It truly does um, uh, aid the body. The immune system um, functions uh, more precisely. Uh, mood is elevated, we think more clearly, we have more energy, skin appears better, and we go through a long list of benefits. Uh, and so I think that uh, this diet, of course, is important uh, for weight loss, but it's important for overall, for overall health and delaying uh, what I believe is the uh, 
uh, onset of age-related disease and also aging itself. I just want to thank you for joining us today. Are there any last words you'd like to add about uh, your research or your book? Well, I just um, believe that um, you know, if you really, truly want to lose weight, you have to do it in a manner that it's not just a, an acute loss of weight and then you regain it. And the book is an approach uh, that is going to give you the skills needed uh, to lose the weight, maintain the muscle mass, uh, maintain beautiful skin, and at the same time uh, make it a lifelong uh, uh, achievement because that's what's important. Okay, Dr. Pericone, thank you for joining us on Berkeley Rocks today. Thank you. And we were just talking to Dr. Nicholas Pericone, creator of the Wrinkle-Free Diet and now his Pericone Weight Loss Diet. His books are now available online and bookstores around the country. This is Berkeley Grox you're listening to here on 90.7 FM KALX. In a few moments, we'll find out what P-doping is and the Grokotron 5000. So stay tuned. Well, Dr. Pericone has kindly agreed to join us on this week's edition of the Grokotron 5000, the computer formerly known as Deep Blue. Today's question is, wrinkled or wrinkled free? And I'm going to give you five subjects right now, and you can tell me if they're wrinkled or wrinkled free. Subject number one, super pop star Michael Jackson, wrinkled or wrinkled free? I say there, there are probably some, some wrinkles here that have to be worked on. <laughs> so more plastic surgery. <laughs> Subject number two, um, I guess a contemporary of your, Barry Sears, creator of the Zone Diet. Yes, I think that's a good wrinkle-free uh, approach. So a good balance of uh, proteins, carbs, and fats, right? Exactly. All right, subject number three here, celebrity of a different type, uh, Oprah Winfrey. Okay, I think Oprah's um, close to wrinkle-free. She's, um, she understands the importance of um, diet. She also understands the importance of taking care of other people. I think that's the key. Uh, a diet of a different type, uh, the Atkins diet. Okay, I think you know got some uh, wrinkles there. Certainly was valuable uh, in the early days, understanding the connection between carbohydrates and, and many of the metabolic problems. Certainly many problems with it, uh, and I think it's pro-inflammatory. So I'd say wrinkles have to be worked on. Okay, some more ironing out, huh? Yes. Okay, and finally, subject number five, President of the United States, George W. Bush. Uh, a lot of stress in his life. Uh, that's a big wrinkle. <laughs> he seems to work out a lot, though. <laughs>
Okay, well, Dr. Perricone, thank you so much for joining us on this week's Grokatron 5000. Okay, thank you. Yo, 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 what's up, what's up, what's up, Bob? It's the lyrical gangster here again with your P-dope action. I'm not talking about your 20 to 30% heroin, part of what it is. I'm talking about semiconductors, man, from 20 to 30% right here. It's positively charged. That's what you got to put in there to make the semiconductors go P-dope, brother. Are you positive? You better believe it, yo, diggity. Oh, and here's Fenji with this week's question of the week. Homo Lumo, that's the question for launch today. What is the difference between the two, eh? And if you know or think you know, email us at the grogs at hotmail.com. You want to win anything but a bonaparte? And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music.